Right, hello, welcome to this special episode of the Big Football Podcast. As always hosting, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Calm. Good evening. And we've got a very special guest this evening. Uh, I'd like to introduce you all to a friend of mine, James Bentley. And James, you uh, are a Berry fan. Yes, I still call myself that, yeah. Um, we'll we'll get straight on, and I, I really do appreciate you coming on, James, because we've spoken about this, and it, it must still be distressing. Um, there are obviously the, 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 the bright hopes of the future for, for Berry AFC, but we'll, we'll come to them in, in a bit. Um, can you kind of give us a brief summary of of what exactly happened last last August September time that ultimately saw Berry unfortunately disappear? Well, I think we can trace the roots of it back to 2013 when a guy called Stuart Day took over the club and uh, he started spending money left, right, and centre on you know huge contracts for players and just a basically unsustainable way of running a League 2 football club. He came in with talk of, you know, the championship in five years, massive ideas, massive plans. Uh, it caused a bit of a divide in the fan base right from the start, really. Some people thought that it wasn't going to happen. Other people, in inverted commas, enjoyed the ride. And then uh, Day left the club in 2018 with it exactly where it was when he started in League 2. And uh, it soon became apparent that the club was in very severe financial problems. He sold the club for £1 to a gentleman called Steve Dale. And it soon became apparent that Mr Dale, despite all his bluster when he initially took over the club about wanting to do things for the community, wasn't paying the players. The players uh, players were playing without being paid. And uh, it all kind of unravelled from there, really. Um, the EFL allowed this man to take over and then claimed that he'd passed the fit and proper person test. It emerged that he didn't have the proof of funds to be able to run the club, and the EFL kept on asking him for them, asking him for them, asking him for them. He kept on fobbing them off, fobbing them off. And on the 27th of August 2019, Berry were expelled from the English Football League. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, I, I can only... I can't even begin to understand how you feel. Um, it, it's it's truly shocking that the it, it's still to, it, in in a year nothing has changed with regards to the fit and proper persons test. Because mm. I'm sure you'll agree with me that the situation at Wigan Athletic is a similar disgrace. Obviously, they they still exist, they still play on, but they they have effectively lost a, a promising manager and a. a are quite a few of their promising young players. What 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 are your feelings regarding the, the um, fit and proper person test? Well, it's a farce, isn't it? I mean, the fact that this man was allowed to come into Bury with his record of asset stripping companies. You know, there's he's got a list as long as your arm of companies that he's bought and then dissolved. He's taken what he could from them and moved on. That is how he makes his living in the world. And alarm bells weren't ringing. Alarm bells didn't ring over Stuart Day's finances, uh, you know, the way the financial aspects of the club were when Stuart Day was in charge. And the EFL have just been nothing short of absolutely shambolic. You know, they say they just organise a competition for their members, but there has to be a regulatory aspect to that, surely. You know, what's what's to stop or what was to stop something that happened at very happening? And the answer to that is nothing. And it's... It, it's easy for me to sit here and say it shouldn't have been allowed, but it shouldn't have been allowed. 
you're not alone with that opinion. It, it, it's clear. I mean, it was at the same time. Obviously, I was a lot closer to the Bolton situation because I'm married to a Bolton fan. But like both clubs were going through like severe financial issues at a similar time. But the the problem that Berry had is as as you've mentioned, asset stripper, um, and that was like from from my point of view, obviously. Um, different situation, different level of football, different ending. But Liverpool were owned by two asset strippers who were fully willing to to take the club into administration in order to to avoid repaying loans and whatnot. So nothing has changed in English football in that was ten years ago. So it, it's still a persistent situation, and it's a failure of the authorities. It, it is very easy for you to sit there and say that, but that doesn't mean that you're not right. Calm, you're quiet. Um, obviously, you're a, a United fan, and James might well bristle at, at that, given the, the local rivalry. Um, what's the, the the latest on on the Glazers? Everything seems to be quiet when United were winning, and now they're not. The green and gold kind of situation has, has reared its head again. Well, it, yeah, it's interesting. You make the, the the link there. I mean, first of all, you know, you hear about. Clubs like you know Berry and 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 Wigan and, and obviously you know we talked about Macclesfield last week as well and you know first of all the first thing you get is that also sense of perspective you know you know fans of big clubs like myself like to think we have problems when we haven't spent forty million pounds on a left back or something and you know you hear about this and you know these are real issues I think you know some Man City players were sort of you know whinging after the loss the other night and you think well tell tell that to a Macclesfield fan you know or or a Berry fan or a Wigan fan. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it is the disparity of, of sort of wealth between football is obviously, I mean, we could talk all night about that. Um, and since the advent of the Premier League, it's, uh, you know, it's become a, a gaping chasm with no sign of changing, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, but you know, that, that said, you know, the ownership at United is, is an interesting one. As you say, the, uh, the, the attitude of, of fans seems to, there's, it's a bit of a the way the wind blows sort of attitude that, yeah, if, if we're winning the protests go quiet and then a few bad results or a, or a bad season and, 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 they, and they sort of come back. But I think the, the point, and I was thinking about this the other day because it's actually now um, 15 years uh, pretty much to the, you know, it was, it was at the end of 2005 when, uh, when the takeover sort of got fully completed. So, um, and, and of that 15-year period, you know, the, the sort of the first half was still during the Alex Ferguson reign, which obviously was successful. And then the second him and David Gill packed the bags and left the club, we've sort of fallen down the pecking order um, and haven't ever mounted a, you know, serious challenge. And, you know, we're clearly several levels below from where we are. Um, but actually, nothing has really changed in terms of how the Glazers ran the club. You know, the only difference is that we had a brilliant manager and a brilliant chief exec who were able to sort of mask the lack of investment and, and use their skills to be able to still, you know, sign players and still get the the, the most out of them. Um, and in losing that personnel, we've now laid bare the sort of the glazers and their approach for for what it is, which is essentially a money making machine. Um, and, you know, Manchester United now is, you know, is essentially a marketing vehicle. Um, that happens to have a football club that has a kickabout a couple of times a week. Um, you know, we are ran from that sort of, you know, very, very sort of marketing driven perspective. And it's all about sponsorship um, and, and signing deals with, you know, tyre manufacturers and, and whoever else. 
Um, and, you know, and, and actually, you know, when we present the, the accounts, obviously, to our investors now, that's all they care about. You know, they don't really touch on the football. Um, and, and I think everyone sort of expected maybe more investment to come when we fell down the pecking order because everyone said, oh, well, you know, once we don't stop winning the league, you know, we won't sell as many shirts or we won't get as much sponsorship interest. But it hasn't quite happened as quick as everyone thought it would. I think from what I understand over the last year or two, that 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 sort of continued lack of success is starting to hurt us more now. Um, and there are, because of the debt that we're laden with, there is still, um, you know, a certain amount. I was reading something the other day. I think it's like something in the region of about sixty-five million pounds every quarter that we have to produce, um, and you know that is now starting to hurt us a bit. And I think that's partly why you know we're perhaps not as active in the transfer market as as fans, you know, sort of think that we should be. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out, um, you know, over the next couple of seasons. If you know, if this sort of Champions League qualification is sort of you know, we're in it one season, we're not in it the next. And, and then that obviously has such a dramatic impact um, on funds available as well. So whether whether they'll whether they'll start to realise that actually, you know, the football side of things does impact the brand and we're a much more attractive brand if we're a successful team. Like I said, the drop-off hasn't been as, as rapid as everyone thought, but I think it is starting to crunch a bit now. And obviously without match day revenue as well, which of course impacts everyone, um, but having a large stadium as United do, you know, it's still a noticeable amount of money that's not coming in every week. Um, so, yeah, but what I don't really know is whether whether this will ultimately register or not. Um, you know, the only person they seem to really listen to is, is Ed Woodward. Um, you know, let's face it, what he knows about football, we could, he could write on a postage stamp. Um, so I think it's going to really depend on whether he sort of understands this and can kind of make that point to the owners and maybe change how we operate. But, you know, so far, I think they've frankly just been delighted with with how we're performing off the pitch and haven't really cared about how we're performing on it. Um, and I, I haven't really seen any solid signs that that is going to change. You know, we always talk about us hiring a director of football that fizzled out in, into nothing. Um, so they just don't really seem to want to invest the time uh, you know, in, in looking at the football side of things. So, yeah, we're sort of left in this in this state where, you know, we are just being, like I say, ran as a, as a sort of marketing-led organisation um, with football as an afterthought, which, of course, is extremely upsetting for all, all the fans, spoilt by success as we might be. You know, actually, a lot of the, the match-going fans, you know, just want to be able to, uh, you know, to see a team try and, uh, you know, try and try and compete. Um, and you know, let's face it, there has been a you know a huge drop off in in the sort of performance that we used to expect from from Manchester United. But it's 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 all to do with with the Glazers' approach. And like I say, it hasn't it hasn't changed. It's only due to Ferguson and David Gill leaving the club that's kind of you know their their performance really allowed us to uh you know to sort of mask what was going on off the pitch. And all that's happened since they've left is we've now seen exactly what they bought the club for. And exactly what their attentions are are now just uh, just plainer to see for everyone, really. So nothing has really changed since they actually bought the club. Um, and I think just the final point I'll, I'll make is, uh, you know, you might remember that uh, some long-standing season ticket holders of, of, of Man United uh, decided to start their own club when the Glazers took over in the form of FC United. Um, and they were sort of a little bit, you know, that kind of divided a lot of people on whether people thought that was a good thing to do or not or where your loyalty should lie. But there was a little bit of, you know, they were they were sort of patronised a little bit by some United fans. But I think 
whether you agree with what they did or not, I think all the reasons they stated for why they formed that breakaway were, were correct then and have actually been proved right over the last 15 years as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what your again, if you have any any thoughts on on that as well, guys. But um, I'll, I'll I'll hand back over to you, Dan. Well, similar. I mean, there's so much that you said there that resonated about, uh, you know, the state of football now being less about the lads on the pitch and more about, you know, the ultimate balance sheet. And I think that's what Stuart Day was trying to achieve with Barry. Stuart Day seems to be playing a real life game of football manager with Barry. You know, uh, you and I, Dan, are at the same kind of age where somebody had come into, there'd always, be, there'd always be one lad who'd come into school on Monday morning and he'd say, hey, do you know what? I was playing football manager at the weekend. I was Stevenage and I got us to the top of the Premier League. I built a 100,000 capacity stadium, won the European Cup. Stuart Day seems to be trying to do that with Bury. And, you know, we were told that the championship, the aim of getting there was to be sustainable off the back of away fans. We'll get 5,000 fans coming from Leeds if we're in the championship. You know, that was the kind of, nonsense he used to spout at uh, fans forums but if your business plan is to get promoted you haven't got a business plan it's just you know a dream football doesn't work like that in the summer of 2017 Stuart Day established one or he put together one of the most expensively assembled squads Barry had ever seen and it was the intention of getting into the championship from league one we ended up being the first team to be relegated in England that season because there was no team spirit. They were all players just playing for their individual wage packets. And, you know, that season is probably more reason than any other why we find ourselves where we are now, because it just absolutely bankrupted the club. And we've had financial problems before. If you're a Berry fan, you get used to a financial crisis going around every 10 years or so. But we've always been able to rely on goodwill of other football supporters who could see that, you know, other circumstances, being close to the Manchester clubs, being close to Liverpool, even being close to Blackburn and Burnley, wasn't helping our cause in any way. But that season totally destroyed any goodwill we may have built up in the past because we were acting like the big cheese in the division when, you know, we weren't. And as I say, that's why we find ourselves where we are now. And it's why... Yeah, the financial reasons are why the club was expelled from the EFL. But the club does still exist. And that's what's caused the, the division in our fan base. Our already tiny fan base. You know, we've got maybe 3,000 regulars. And some people have decided that AFC had to be formed. Others are saying, why are you doing this? The club's not dead yet. And there's a split in the fan base, even though Barry Football Club has no players, has no manager, has no league. He's not penciled into playing any games. But some people still think the club exists and we should be trying to save it. Now, the amount of debt that's saddled in the club, trying to save it, I think, pragmatically thinking, is absolutely impossible. And AFC had to be formed. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong that people support them, but it's, it's just so frustrating from a very point of view that you've got this split in the fan base. And it's playing right into Steve Dale's hands. Whatever his end game is, the division in the fan base isn't helping it. You look at what Wimbledon did when uh, MK Dons came onto the scene. Their fans had a singular vision, a single purpose, and they succeeded. Saw some photos on social media the other week of AFC Wimbledon's new ground. It's fantastic. That's what can be achieved with a United vision. We haven't got that, and it's really, really upsetting. Can kind of touched upon the fractured fan base 
And again, I appreciate it's a completely different situation, but at Liverpool, even when it was clear that the club was being asset stripped, the, the situation was there was too many fans who said, we're not going to get involved with protests or this, that or the other because we don't want to disrupt the team. When the team was headed one direction and that was downward, I'm not saying going down, but in a downward spiral, um, and there were still people who were not getting involved because they were more worried about the, the results on the pitch. Um, it, it's that one of my, the questions I was going to ask you is, what what exactly is the situation? Because like the club is not gone as as you've just alluded to. I was just wondering if you could go into a bit more detail for that for us, because from from the outside looking in, I know the club hasn't been wound up per se, but as you've already said, no um, no players, no manager, um, no fixtures. Like surely the um, I, 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 I'm the end game will will involve money. There's no doubt about that and. Um, all we've seen from from very recently is that bizarre statement that got released a few weeks ago about um, the last night of the proms. Um, yeah, to that, Steve. Yeah, that was that was absolutely. Uh, what you want from your club in it dignity in the in the uh, public spotlight, and you get something like that. Yeah, I mean the club hasn't been liquidated yet, so the people who say the club isn't dead are strictly speaking correct, but it's saddled in so much debt that. Nobody, who is going to come along and spend a seven-figure sum of money on clearing Barry's debts when then all they're going to do is just start in the same position that AFC is starting it? You know, we've been expelled from the EFL. There is no... I don't... The, the rules are so murky. I mean, I don't think we could enter a National League North level, which is what Dale seems to be claiming. But I think we'd just start at the same level as AFC and... That has utilised so much experience from the fan base. You know, every, there's so much knowledge in there in the uh, AFC group that has been able to be called upon, drawn upon. That I can't see how Berry FC, this shell of a club, would be able to start again. It's. It, it seems to me like I think your first point was the the, the most striking one to me. Berry or Berry AFC will start at the same level, and, yeah, and and therefore it it feels to me. I mean, obviously, I, I'm not speaking for for any Berry fans who who don't know what they're doing or haven't decided what to do. For me, it would be a better move to start again free of the the owners. Like clutches, the 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 only and one of the questions I had lined, and I can kind of go to it here, is where where's the the stadium coming to this? Obviously, Gig Lane is a, a place where you've you've treasured memories beyond beyond words. We we all have we all have those. Um, do, do you think that one of the the long term goals of of um, Berry AFC could be to to buy Gig Lane? I think it is. Uh, one of the long-term goals. Yeah, I mean, I think for more detail on that, you'd have to talk to somebody who's more heavily involved with the uh, governance administration of AFC, etc. But uh, yeah, gig is very, very important to all of us. And that is why a lot of fans can't bring themselves to support AFC because they think that, you know, the the ground where they have all those treasured memories is still in the possession of a business that has not been liquidated. It's not a going concern of a business, but it hasn't been liquidated nonetheless. And uh, 
as I say, you know, whatever Steve Dale's end game is, uh, he's drawing it out and he's dividing the fans in the process so we don't have that single vision. But uh, <laughs> I, I saw recently, um, James, that you'd, you'd written a letter to um, Mr. Dale. On, I saw you, uh, you post that on Twitter. Can you can you tell us about about the letter and and, and... Well, that's to Stuart Day, the former chairman? Oh, sorry. Um, it was uh, yeah. It, you know, if I do want to do a book about what's happened to Barry. Which, uh, listening to me talk now, you think that's probably not such a good idea because I don't really know a great deal about it. But uh, yeah, I wanted to speak to Stuart Day. And more than anything, I want Stuart Day to front up to what he did. You know, how he sold Berry fans a dream and it went down the river and he just disappeared. You know, and we got promoted at Tranmere in 2015 and there were some Berry fans on the pitch thinking there's only one Stuart Day. They invested a lot of hope in him. I was reticent about him right from the start. And I don't say that as a badge of honour or anything like that. But there was a group of supporters who, from the moment Day walked in, were unsure of his motives, and I would count myself as one of them. But some other Berry fans invested a lot of hope in him, and he abused that hope. And he, you can't, if you've done all that, as far as I'm concerned, if you've done all that, you can't just disappear into a puff of smoke. You've got you know... You front up to what you've done, but you won't front up to it because he's a coward. He's a coward for the way that he's acted since he left Bury, And it just ma- it makes me so upset that people fell for a snake oil salesman. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I, I, I was just going to say, I think the problem is it is becoming an all too familiar story. And, and I think the issue that, that causes it is there is no formal mechanism for accountability um which is why they can you know people can sort of disappear off into a as you know as you say a, a puff of smoke and the, there's just no doesn't seem to be a way whether it's because there isn't anything sort of legislated if you like or uh whether there just isn't an interest from the authorities but uh you know this 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 keeps happening right and 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 well i was going to say barry won't be the last club they haven't been it's already happened since then and it will continue to because at the moment there is nothing stopping a sort of silver tongue businessman coming along with you know, flashing his his his, <laughs> his, his wallet around, which which may or may not actually have any money in, um, and and then taking control and and sort of running a club into the ground out of some sort of misplaced vanity project, which seems to be what's That's happened exactly here. What it is yeah, there's no, there's there is no mechanism, and uh, as you say, yeah, you can just he can swan up to the ground in a four in a massive top of the range four by four. That's all he's interested in status and. The, regular, the regulators won't, you know, there's no regulatory body that will touch it because at the end of the day, it is just a business. And this yeah. happens in businesses all the time. You know, I can sit here and I can talk to you about the emotional impact of my club going right back to my great granddad, who was a former prisoner of war in the First World War. He took my dad to games. My dad took me to games. It's The club is my link to my town and my family. And But at the end of the day, it is just a business. And you can, you can, you know, do all the hand wringing about community assets and stuff like that. But you know, if if I could trace my days back to you know my granddad, my great granddad drinking in a pub in Bury, and that pub shut, is it any different? It's it's unfortunate, but and you know that's coming from somebody who I loved the club with everything I had. Of course, I did. And it was my support network. I mean, you, 
to be brutally honest, Dan, you've asked a lot of questions about you know the administration and stuff and uh, stuff like that of the club. That's more for a David Conn kind of person. I I can talk all day about the emotion that it stirs in me. You know the stuff that got me out of my seat watching games when I was 14 years old and, you know, that I've remembered clear as day and that I've been privileged enough to write two books about. And that, to me, is what a football club can do to you. But unfortunately, as I say, it is just a business at the end of the day. It leads into the the wider point of, like, football um, no longer being a sport but a business. And I think a lot of the self-protectionism that was taking place during... um, COVID-19 when the season was suspended in some cases it didn't restart I think that was a perfect illustration it was all about oh the money this the money that and um, that that straight that struck me as as being a real eye opener I mean we've known for a long time that football is a business but that really really highlighted it I thought but to fans of smaller clubs you know who I always say you're on being a Berry fan you're on nodding terms with a thousand different people to somebody who it's the only time to get out of a week, it you know it's it's going to batter their mental health. Uh, COVID just like it's battered our mental health. I you know football totally went off the radar for me last season before lockdown. I didn't I didn't put a bet on anymore. I didn't watch football focus. I didn't read sport pages. The game just didn't really exist to me. Is is that still the way you feel, or with with Berry AFC? hopefully beginning to gather momentum are you kind of trying to switch back on i mean how how do you feel about the premier league james don't care about it could not care less about it, it it's just there and on tv quite a lot it's there and it's obscene as far as i'm concerned yeah and is that in context of the, the just the sheer volume of money in in the game yeah yeah the sums of money are just horrifying to me. You know, when you think about the state that society's in at the moment, but that's an entirely different subject to be talking about. But no, the Premier League has never or has rarely interested me, you know. I think maybe the last time I was interested in it could have been, you know, 1998 or something like that. But the AFC, I'm trying to get interested in it and it's taken a long time, you know. I've, I've paid for my membership, I pay a fiver a month for membership me and my dad have sponsored a shirt and I want to be involved in the good things that they're doing, but it's I've not quite let go of Berry Football Club yet. And my way of watching football will probably never be the same again. You know, going to gigs, sitting in seat J fifteen in the main stand and, you know, all the people that I'd see there, all the people that I'd know that have, that have watched me grow up. And it's it's a really tough one just to think, well, can I just start again? Because it is effectively a new club. It, you know, it'll have the history assimilated into it, I'm sure, like Darlington did. Darlington went bust and then uh, the Phoenix Club was formed and took over Darlington FC's history. And now the new club is effectively the old club rolled, you know, two clubs rolled into one. That will happen with Bury, I'm sure. But it's... It's a real head scratcher, or it's a real uh, head spinner to get yourself around, and I haven't quite done it yet. And that, that's it, it's been a year, but a, a year is no time. It, it's just a season. It's, I mean, I, I can't even. I've, I've already said it. But I, I can't even begin to describe 
how you must feel, James. It, it's, it's. I wouldn't wish what happened to us on my worst enemy. It's just been absolutely awful. You know, that night when it came through at five past 11 that we'd been expelled, and it was the strongest punch to the gut I've ever had in my life. I had to take the next day off work. I phoned my boss the next morning and said, look, I've not slept a wink last night. Do you mind if I just kind of take today as some kind of special leave? And he, he allowed it, and I went down to gig. And I just stood there in the rain, pouring rain, just looking at the main stand, thinking, you know, we always thought something like this might happen, but you never expect it to. And it's it's awful. And, yeah, yeah the fact it's happening, in, happening to more clubs now, I feel so sorry for the fans that are going through it. I feel sorry for Macclesfield fans, the fans. It's uh, it's horrible. It is. It's it's it, it. It actually angers me that someone can have the club taken away from them or severely damaged. Um, I, I'm I'm no lover of the town of Wigan. I think everybody knows that. But <laughs> um, for th- that to happen to Wigan Athletic was just obscene. It was disgusting. And mm. nobody is learning lessons, and that for me is one of the troubling things. It's not like like the death of of a football club is is meaning anything. It's not causing any lessons to be learned because that should be for, for for the EFL to see that to happen to a team currently in the league should be a source of real embarrassment. But it, it doesn't seem to be. They don't seem to. to I have to say. I have to say, I don't think it would have happened if Rick Parry was uh, in charge of the EFL like he is at the moment. But we had that Debbie Jevons, who was interim chief exec, and I don't think she was prepared for the magnitude of the task at hand. So you think Rick Parry's kind of... I, Rick Parry's a football man. I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not like questioning um, Debbie Jevons's credential because I don't know them. But um, Well, precisely, yeah. But you know Rick Parry's. And you know Rick Parry has football at his heart and I don't think it would have happened. Um, I'll counter that with Rick Parry sold Liverpool to um, Hicks and Gillette. But I take your point that he, he knows <laughs> football more than um, Deb, Debbie Jevons. He, he knows no, football. He's a football man. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, Rick Parry. That's that brings back some some memories for me too. Um, certainly, he, he's synonymous with the, with the, the kind of formative years of the Premier League. Mm, yeah, simple minds and massive Bart Simpsons dancing on the pitch at Main Road for uh, Man versus QPR. Yeah, <laughs> Monday night football. It's a whole new ball game, apparently. I know, and now and now we've got two Monday night games. Um, <laughs> Just go I mean, that, the state of modern football. I'm sorry to you know go back to my rose tinted view, but um, that tunnel club that they launched at Man City. I saw the marketing for it saying you know get closer to the players than you've ever been before. You what? I used to go and watch Bury when I was a kid, and I'd be getting players' autographs half an hour after they stepped off the pitch. I'd be standing in front of them, talking to them about, about the game I've just witnessed. They'd go and drink in the social club with Bury fans. That's what I loved about being a Bury fan. You feel like you're welcomed into a special society. You feel as though you know the club, the fans see you as a molded, uh, sorry, uh, unmolded lump of clay, and they say, "Right, we're having him, and we'll mold him in our image, and he will love the club." And I did. You know, there's, there's there is something, without being too parochial about it, really, really special about supporting a club where you want a three thousand, 
instead of one where you want a 45,000 or 76,000 at Old Trafford or something. It's, you, be, you can become important on a personal level. Yeah, I, I think, obviously, um, I, I don't get that at Anfield, but um, my, my son is free to support who he wants as long as it's not um, Everton, Manchester United or Manchester City or Chelsea or Arsenal or, yeah. <laughs> um, but he he goes to the football with, with my wife, he's, he's five, and we, he, as part of the... Um, my wife is from Lancaster and they have something called the Lancaster Whites Supporters Club and they get a free place as a mascot every year or maybe it's two but my son was was one of them um, he was a mascot before the Wickham game um, and I, I was given a free ticket I, I endured Bolton against Wickham um, on a freezing cold I think it was February or it was, I think it was a February evening or maybe January and um, yeah, I, I felt a lot closer to, as a football person to Bolton than I ever have done at Liverpool. Liverpool have given me some of the greatest nights I'll ever have, but I, I felt like my family and my wife's family, more particularly, were being that 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 spirit you've just spoken of. You know, like nodding terms and player autographs and whatnot. I, you always feel like lower down the football pyramid. That, fans matter whereas the higher up you go the kind of more of a cash yeah, cow fans are if you spend £80,000 on an executive box yeah yeah. if you go onto YouTube and you search Berry Chesterfield 2011 you'll see the goal that got very promoted but you'll also see the celebrations in the social club at gig that night we got promoted at Chesterfield and as we're all travelling back word comes out on social media players will be in the social club we got drunk with the players, singing songs about them all evening. It was absolutely fantastic. It was brilliant. And unless, you know, you sign up for the Tunnel Club at Man City or, you know, you're part of some secret society at Liverpool, you're not going to get those moments at one of the bigger clubs. You know, it's like when you see an open... T- or No, I was going... I don't know what I'm saying there. Uh, is it like... When Leicester won the Premier League and they were all having a party in Jamie Vardy's kitchen, well, they were doing that in the social club at Bury with the fans after we got promoted. It was great. Yeah, I can imagine that being something very special as well. As you say, rightly, you, you weren't getting that anywhere in the top, probably the top two tiers. I mean, I, I can't think of any championship clubs even that would facilitate that. I think probably only Wickham because yes. you know, they've uh, come from... They know what it's like to be at the sharp end. Yeah, w- Wickham flirted with relegation from the football league a few times, didn't they? In the, um, yeah. the late nineties, if I remember rightly. Even Bournemouth did, but Bournemouth's a totally different club now. They almost got relegated from the league. I think in two thousand and ten, they were next to bottom or something. They finished next to bottom. But of course, it's you know investment on a massive scale that's got them to where they were. And of course, that investment has been. Paul, um, over the last 12 months, we, in, in our f- first episode, I think me and Paul talked about how um, Eddie Howe got his transfers right and then he, he started to get them wrong. Um, but as as you say, it's kind of immaterial, but it's all for, for crazy sums of money, like £15 million for John Ibe, £6 million for Brad Smith. Brad Smith, I don't think he played a minute for Liverpool. Um, you know, it's it's crazy sums of money, and that's, that's just... Um, 
I mean, Jordan Ibe just signed on a free transfer for for uh, for Derby, if I remember rightly. Well, that comes back to Stuart Day at Bury. He wanted to be in the Championship. When Championship teams are transferring players between each other for eight-figure sums, how on earth is a club like Bury going to compete with that? It's well, well, well. This is it. I mean, did, did do you felt you had the the manager to compete? At the time? How, how were things on the field when these promises were being made? Uh, in his first season, we had Kevin Blackwell in charge. In Stuart Day's season, we had Kevin Blackwell in charge. He uh, divided the fan base again with some of his comments. Uh, and then David Flickcroft took over. He got us promoted. Then he left. Uh, Chris Lachetti took charge. Club legend Chris Lachetti. Absolutely. And then uh, Ryan Lowe takes over as caretaker. We got relegated under Lowe. And, oh, sorry, no, uh, Lee Clark. Oh, God, how could I have forgotten Lee Clark? <laughs> Newcastle and Sunderland. <laughs> I remember. And he had that crazy unbeaten run at Huddersfield, didn't he, and got sacked because he wasn't very good at football managing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that reputation at Huddersfield kind of uh, followed him wherever he went. You know, everyone thinks, well, he did that at Huddersfield. Oh, he was garbage at Bury. And the players he signed on the contract, he is chief architect of uh, Bury's downfall. But, uh, no, what were things like on the pitch? Sometimes would be great. Other times would be absolutely appalling. But he didn't really. Day was, I think he liked the hiring and firing quite a lot. And there was talk of him interfering in team selection as well. Which is, all, it, you know, it's never a great thing, is it? When uh, you hear about a chairman doing that and you see photos of a training camp in Spain and Day's there wearing his own personalised training kit. You know, he's 17 stone, mate. You you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> not not unless it's Barry Fry, in which case it, it would be normal. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, it varied on the pitch, it, it'd be fair to say. Yeah, and uh, some of the, yeah, the play, some of the players we signed, Jermaine Pennant, you probably have uh, quite fond memories of him. He is not a player to get you out of a League One relegation battle, yet we signed him. And that, to me, is the kind of signing that Stuart Day could say to Sky Sports News, look who I've attracted to the club. You know, he believes in the vision. Yeah. Um, it's horses for courses, isn't it? I mean, I'm not sure what Jermaine Pennant could get you out of full stop, to be completely honest. <laughs> but um, from from my point of view, you, you've just mentioned Sky Sports News. And I, I remember um, Joanne being quite upset at the time because they had a full splash on saying countdown to Bolton and Berry. Countdown to ex-Bolton, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, them, wasn't it? yeah. Really distasteful kind of sensationalism. Um, how did how did that make you feel? Was, was it anger or was it just shaking your head at Sky Sports News being Sky Sports News? Yeah, it, it was Sky being Sky, yeah. Uh, it's their stock in trade. And, you know, they reduced my club to the status of a lunatic in a Victorian asylum. Let's point and laugh. That's certainly how it, it felt to me. It was a, almost a kind of freak show kind of feeling yeah. was what I, I got. Like, well, look at these two. I mean, I, I know uh, historically, certainly since the, the mid-90s, Bolton and Berry have been... Um, rivals, I, I know you kind of pulled together in a little, like in a little way over the whole 
fact that your clubs were going through a similar thing at the same time, um, was that mutual, just out of interest? Uh, not really. I think I kind of just thought we were on our own a bit, really, because I think Bolton are, you know, there's no getting around it. Bolton are a bigger club than us. And what does uh, Joanne think about the fact that the EFL's lawyer was a Bolton fan? Uh, she has got no time for the EFL whatsoever. Well, I think he probably uh, assisted in them not facing the same fate. I think the EFL just wanted to make an example of a club and, you know, we were the convenient ones at the time. If it hadn't been us, it would have been someone else. And then, uh, yeah, we, we maybe could have rolled it out. That's a bit controversial of me to say that. But, no, I think uh, we were right kind of club, right kind of time and, you know, let's show them that we mean business. Yeah, when they don't know what business is because they don't know who to allow to run football clubs. Precisely, yeah. yeah. Um, so if if we kind of look a little bit more towards the, the, the future, James, I mean, when I was first, like, when I first approached you to do this, I thought you was a little bit more involved with them. Is it AFC Berry or Berry AFC? Berry AFC. I thought it was. Um, I thought you was a bit more involved with them than than, than you were. And I think anyone could understand you not going all guns blazing to, to you know, like marching off to, to get behind them just yet because you're still suffering from from grief, which uh, not, people who don't follow football won't understand that, but you are. Um, like how, how do you see the next few years for you and Berry AFC as a fan and as, as the club? How do you think the club will will move forward and how do you think you'll move forward? I think the club will move forward because I think there's there is a massive amount of momentum behind it. Just because I've not gone gunko into it doesn't mean others haven't. You know, grief, as you say, is a very personal thing and uh, you can't tell anybody how to grieve. If anybody, you know, tells me to snap out of it, the way I see it, it's like I I had a brother who was born on the uh, 27th of August 1988 when I went to my first game and I loved that brother dearly I may have fallen out with him every now and again I may have really really disliked him every now and again but he was still my brother and that brother effectively died when the club was expelled from the EFL and you know it's on life support now but I don't see that brother getting any better but others have been more pragmatic they've grasped the nettle they've formed AFC they've done great things they've done to build a club from scratch is no mean feat whatsoever. And there's a lot of clever people behind it, which means I think AFC will be a success. I think they'll get promoted this season because of the momentum, the funds behind them compared to other clubs in the division. And that's not meant to be disrespectful towards any of the clubs that share a division with them. I think it's just you know a statement of plain facts that AFC has got an awful lot more resources than they have. They may well plateau in a few years, you know, I always thought uh, if Barry got relegated from the EFL, and I always thought we'd do a Stockport County, wind up in National League North. And you only have to look at a club the size of Wrexham struggling to get back in the uh, EFL from the conference. It is by no means guaranteed that AFC will wind up back in the Football League, or in the Football League, sorry, because uh, it's just such a competitive competition to get in there. But I do think they will do well for the first few seasons and as I say they may plateau but I hope by then I can be emotionally involved in it as it is at the moment I don't know any of the players I haven't got that emotional connection but as time goes on I think that will change and I think if they can assimilate the history of the old club into the new club 
it would be uh, a positive step, in my opinion, and it would help me feel a bit more for them. It's not going to be easy because, you know, going to a local ground like Ratcliffe that they're going to be ground sharing with, it's not gig lane. If they can get gig, that would be fantastic. And then we can feel that there is a semblance of normality to go into watch them that probably doesn't exist at the moment. But uh, there's a few ifs, buts and maybes, but by and large, I think they'll do okay. It's it's so sad, honestly. I, I, I can't say anything. It's been a year, mate, and I've never known what to say to you other than I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, and I, I still am. Um, I really thank you for, for taking the time to speak to us about this. Um, I know it's it's very tough because you, you mentioned the the impact of um, of COVID on on mental health and like I I have a season ticket at Liverpool. I have a season ticket at St Helens. I would probably say that football and rugby are the biggest aspects of my social life. So to not be able to to go, I I I don't know what what to say, mate. Other than um, I really hope that you feel that you can get involved with with Berry AFC when the time is right. And I think it will be. I think it is just you know a, a bit more of a journey of a healing process. But uh, for now, it's just it's still a bit too raw. But as I say, I know a lot of the people who are working on AFC. They've done an absolutely amazing thing, and I think in time it'll come. But it'll it'll just take time, unfortunately. And because all this has happened through no fault of our own. You know, my dad's 67. Why has he been denied his weekly release of frustration at 11 players wearing white shirts when he's done nothing wrong? It's, as I say, it all, it all lies with an organisation who should have been there to help us and who weren't. Yeah, the, the, the AFL failed. It's as simple as that. And they continue to fail. Um, yeah. That is, if 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 I was in your shoes, that would be one of the most frustrating things for me. They still continue to get it wrong. As you said, I haven't learned any lessons at all. No, not none at all. Khan, have you got anything further you want to add? Um, I, I don't think there is anything I can add. In all honesty, I think, like I say, it's a very sorry tale, and uh, yeah, hope that uh, you know James, you managed to. Um, yeah, get get sort of re- re-engage at some point, but equally, I'd, I'd understand if you don't, because uh, something's been been taken from you. You know, mm. um, and you need to find your own way to reconcile with it. So I hope one way or another that you do find that. But yeah, it's a very sorry situation, and I think the worst part about it is, like I said, unfortunately, we don't seem to learn these lessons. And I'm sure a year from now there'll be some other poor club that goes the same way for probably similar reasons, unfortunately, and particularly with the current situation around covid you know that could exacerbate and accelerate some of those um so yeah we could be looking at a very different landscape in 12 months if if, if not much changes on that front i think we will be yeah cheers Carl. um james um you've you've written a couple of books about berry as you, as you mentioned before do you want to tell us a bit about them and where we can get them from uh yes the first one is called the forgotten 15 how berry triumphed in british football's worst year so it concentrates on uh, Berry's 1984-85 season. They got promoted from Division 4 using only 15 players all season. 14 of those players are still alive, and I found them at various points around the world and interviewed them, all face-to-face. I went to Italy to see the goalkeeper who lives over there now. Never saw him play for Berry, but uh, <laughs> just a bizarre phone call. Uh, you didn't play for Berry in 1985, did you? Yeah. Don't suppose I could come over and meet you, could I? But uh, he agreed to it, and... Got Alistair Campbell to do the forward for it. 
it sold a thousand physical copies. Unfortunately, it's now only available on Kindle, uh, but it does still sell quite well on there. It's only two quid. And the second book is about when Barry went up to what is now the championship in the mid-90s on not so much a shoestring budget. I mean, we did spend quite significantly, but we had a team spirit that was absolutely incredible. And this is just me talking to all my childhood heroes about all the games that really cemented my support. And that's called Things Can Only Get Better, Barry's Mid-90s Rise Under Stan Turner. And that's available on Amazon as a physical copy or as a Kindle book as well. There we go. Um, thank you for, for that. James, um, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You've spoken so passionately and eloquently. and um, It would have been easy for you to come on and throw out any kind of, of language and inflammatory, <laughs> inflammatory language as well um, around. And I, I just I respect you so much for being able to, to come on and I thank you for it. Thank you for your time. Um, and I really do hope, as as Cairns kind of alluded to, that you that you can re-engage when you feel like it, if you feel like it. Mm. Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm sorry if I have stuttered, bumbled my way through a few things, but uh, it's not always easy to talk about it. I do still find it very raw, but uh, yeah, I hope uh, I've been able to provide some kind of insight of just what a nightmare it's been in the last 15 months. It's been as fascinating as it has been, uh, frankly, macabre, mate. But if it helps, I bungle and stutter my way through every podcast. <laughs> well, thanks very, uh, thanks very much for having me. Okay, thank you very much for your time, James. Really appreciate it. <laughs>